everybody. Welcome to another At the Table with Bishop Sue. And it is my great joy to have as our preacher, uh, Reverend Jimmy Moore. Jimmy uh, is uh, uh, really just such a wonderful person who is a, a figurehead in North Georgia. I'll say that. and That's probably not a good word, but he really has mentored so many clergy and led so many laity. And, you know, I really uh, appreciate Jimmy and Julie down at St. Simon's for pastor school. Uh, they always have a bunch of young clergy and clergy kids all around them. And there's usually peach ice cream involved. And I appreciate how uh, they've dedicated themselves to nurturing and tending and, and uh, encouraging uh, young clergy and folks of all types. So, Jimmy, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, the text today is John 20, starting with verse 19, and it's Easter. It's Easter, and Jesus keeps coming back, right? How grateful are we that there's more than one day of Easter, right? Yep. And this is, the, this is the text where Jesus, the first text where Jesus shows up uh, with the disciples. They're in a locked room. They're terrified. They fear the authorities. And uh, I have to confess, when I was watching your sermon, I remembered back to my first preaching class in seminary. And uh, a guy named Hugo, I'll never forget him, big African-American guy, over 6'5", huge guy, preached on this text. And he, he started off, his eyes got this big, and he said, um, Dead people scare me. <laughs> and, then, and then he said, but you know what? Dead people scare me even more when they show up in a room with me. <laughs> and I'm all, every time I see this text or read this text, I think of Hugo. And he nailed it, right? Nothing yeah. more. T- you're, you're behind locked doors and Jesus shows up in your midst and he's alive. Yeah, so, um, yeah, for all the, and his first words are peace, right? Because he knew they'd probably all run. So, That's exactly um, right. but anyhow, let's, let's listen to the sermon and um, then we'll come back and just plumb the depths of it and see where the spirit leads us in this discussion. So uh, this is uh, Reverend Jimmy Moore, and the text is uh, the first Easter appearance of Jesus to the disciples in the locked room in John chapter 20. I greet you in the name of our crucified and risen Lord. My name is Jimmy Moore. I'm a retired elder in the conference, and it is my joy to be worshiping with you on this, the second Sunday of the Easter season. For a scripture foundation for our time together today, I want to share a traditional text for this Sunday. You'll find it in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning with the 19th verse. And I invite you to listen for the word of God in this text. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May we pray. Oh God, I pray that it would be your word that is heard today and that we might meet afresh the risen Christ and leave prepared to serve him in the world. In whose name we pray, amen. My son Josh is a combat veteran of Afghanistan. He shipped out to Afghanistan in the year 2004, and I will say that the time following his leaving was to this point the longest year of my life. In Advent of that year, I was at the church that I was serving one Sunday morning. We were between services close to the 11 o'clock service, and I heard a commotion out in the hallway. And I looked up from my desk and I saw at the door some members of the church and they were just beaming. And they were beaming because my son Josh was with them. He had gotten leave to come home for Christmas and had decided not to tell his mother and I that he was coming but to surprise us. And he was completely successful in that. I was dumbfounded. Josh is here. I was overjoyed, of course, but dumbfounded. We had a few moments to hug and to share some words, and then he went to find his mother while I began to finish getting ready for the worship service. When he found his mother, you could hear her shouts of joy throughout the church building. Her boy was home. And I will never forget the sight of Julie and Josh walking into the worship service that we started just a few moments later. We had begun to sing the opening hymn, and they were walking down the aisle, and the singing almost stopped because it's hard to sing when you're crying. And the church was celebrating with us our boy coming home. An unexpected visit. Our boy was with us, grace and joy. One way to get into the text that we have before us this day is to think about the unexpected visits that Jesus makes to his scared, confused disciples in this text. When the text begins, it's Easter Sunday night, but the disciples are not celebrating. Rather, they are cowering in fear behind locked doors because, John says, they are afraid of what the authorities might do to them. Now, this may seem odd in one sense, given what happened that morning to the disciples. John says that Peter and the beloved disciple had gone to Jesus' tomb and they had found the tomb empty. Mary had gone to the tomb and to the garden, and she had encountered the risen Christ. And she came back and told the disciples, I have seen the Lord. 
but somehow it wasn't enough to overcome their fear. This amazing thing that God is doing in Easter is so startling and so hard to understand that the disciples struggle to get their heads around it, apparently. And so it is here. From another angle, there's reason for them to be afraid. Then as now, the forces of death and despair and destruction are real and they are powerful. And they had seen that power at work in the crucifixion of Jesus. They had watched Jesus die and seen that terrible death and destruction at work. And who could say what might happen to them as followers of Jesus? They perhaps had reason to be afraid of the authorities. So they're scared and they're hiding. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, Jesus is among them. Peace be with you, he says. And then he shows them his wounds and they know that it's Jesus. They can identify him from the wounds. And John says that then they rejoiced in the Lord and I believe him. They rejoice because their friend and their leader is alive again and among them. And perhaps they are rejoicing because they're just a little bit closer to getting to the truth of this great Easter message. There is a passage or a scene that I've loved for a long time from the old Cotton Patch Gospels play where the resurrected Christ comes to his disciples and he looks at them and just says two words with a big smile. It worked. And perhaps the disciples are beginning to understand it worked. The forces of death and destruction are powerful, but God's love and God's grace are more powerful. And there's joy there. Jesus offers the disciples gifts. Again, he says, peace be with you, this deep peace that the world can't give. He gives them meaningful work to do to carry on his ministry in the world. And he gives them the Holy Spirit to empower them. And then this powerful visit is over, a visit of grace and joy. Thomas, for some reason, was not there when this all took place. And when Thomas comes back, the other disciples say to him what Mary had said to them. We have seen the Lord. And just as they had trouble believing Mary's witness, he has trouble believing their witness. No, he says, I'm going to have to see this for myself. I'm going to have to touch his wounds before I believe this. A week goes by. It's the next Sunday evening. The disciples are again in a room with the doors closed. This time Thomas is there. And once again, unexpectedly, Jesus shows up and visits. Gail O'Day, who's writing about this text, has greatly shaped this sermon, says that what we have here in these stories are parables of grace. The disciples are scared. They're confused. They don't fully understand. They don't really merit a visit by Jesus, but Jesus keeps coming to them. He comes and he doesn't chide them. He doesn't rebuke them for hiding behind the doors, but he comes and he offers them what they need to be the people he needs them to become in the world. And so it is in this visit. Thomas is there, Jesus comes and he says, peace be with you for the third time. 
And then he says to Thomas, you wanted to see me, you wanted to touch me, here I am, have at it. And as far as we know, Thomas does not touch Jesus, but he is overcome with awe and with joy at this experience. And so he says, my Lord and my God, an unexpected visit with grace and with joy. Now, we don't know much about the rest of Thomas's life and ministry, but what we do know suggests that as a result of this visit of Jesus, Thomas became fully committed to the way of the risen Christ in the world. Thomas did not have the benefit that we have of knowing the Wesleyan Covenant prayer with its call for utter commitment to God and complete trust in God, but the evidence that we have is that Thomas embodied that kind of commitment and trust in his life and work. And perhaps that became true for other disciples as well. Now, beloved, I believe that these stories of Jesus' unexpected visits to his disciples, these parables of grace, are good news for us on our Easter journey. Most of us do not have to worry about authorities that might come knocking on our doors to haul us away to prison. But the forces of death and despair and destruction are still active in our world, and we have reasons to be fearful. And very often it feels more like a Good Friday world for us than it does an Easter world, even one Sunday out from the celebrations of Easter like we are today. I don't know what might cause you fear. Uh, each of us will have our own list. Some of the things on my mind and heart right now are things like the COVID virus. The vaccines are bringing great hope and promise, but the variants are out there. The case numbers are going up again, and the experts are saying again, this is a dangerous time and a deadly disease, and we've got to be careful. Some of us are struggling with personal issues or family issues. Someone is sick. A marriage is falling apart. A job has been lost and there's economic uncertainty and we don't know what the next few months will bring to us in our living. There are shootings that have taken place in Ackworth and Atlanta and Colorado and other places around our country. And they have brought to the surface issues of gun violence and racism. And we have people in our communities who are literally afraid to leave their homes now because they don't know if they are safe. And for those of us who are United Methodist, uh, we're in this long period of waiting and wondering what's going to become of our beloved denomination. And we don't know what it's going to look like 12 months from now or 18 months from now. And we can get anxious about that. You will have your own list and that list goes on. But these things can come together and life can seem scary and it can seem overwhelming. And we can find ourselves behind locked doors like the disciples in our text. If that is our experience this Easter or some other time, then John has a message for us today, I think. His message is, be alert. I know it's hard. It can be risky even being a disciple of Jesus Christ, but be alert because Jesus is on the loose and he just may show up when and where you least expect him. 
bringing God's grace, God's love, and God's power, and offering hope to you and to the world. Now, you can think of places where you've seen the risen Christ. I want to suggest two as we move toward closure. Sometimes Jesus shows up when the church is being the church and carrying out the ministry that Jesus gives it in our text this morning. In a recent issue of the United Methodist News Daily Digest, there's a story about a migrant called Maria in the story who is from Central America and who comes to this country to be reunited with her family. She comes first to make a trip with an infant child to the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area, and she enters this country in Texas. And when she comes to Texas, there's a United Methodist minister who meets her and who gives her some food and some money, and then he begins to put the connection to work. He calls Methodists in the next town, and the next town, and the next town. And all along the way of her journey, Maria is met by United Methodists who help her. They give her medicine, and food, and clothing, and money, and a phone. And there are nurses who come to help tend to the child until she finally makes it to Baltimore and Washington area to meet the rest of her family. She has another child who was uh, two years old when she left that she had to leave behind in Central America. This child came to America with another family member, somehow was separated, and for a few terrifying days was lost. They finally discovered the child had somehow wound up in Michigan. And United Methodists, including Bishop Latrell Easterling, worked to fight through the process to get this child reunited with her mother, and they were successful. Here is a story where Maria is facing danger, despair, and family separation, and she experiences grace and love and help and hope through the visits of the risen Christ that come through the hands of helping United Methodists. Tom Long, master preacher and Bible scholar, suggests that when Thomas utters his affirmation to Jesus at the end of our text, my Lord and my God, it is really a hymn. And Long says that any time we lift words of praise in prayer or song, especially in the face of terrible loss, we just may be experiencing the risen Christ moving through our midst. And I've seen that, and you may have too. St. Mark was one of the better singing churches that I served in the course of my active ministry. And there were times when we would be singing in that beautiful sanctuary, and there would be a hymn of some sort, not every time, but several times, when it was so good and so rich and so powerful that I was overcome, and I had to stop singing and just let the music just wash over me and carry me. And it was the more powerful as I learned about the anger and the grief and the loss and the pain that was woven into the lives of many of the people singing those hymns. And many of those emotions were brought on by actions of the church against them. But they loved Jesus and they loved God and they sang their hearts out and you could see Jesus moving in the congregation. 
It was at St. Mark that I learned the anthem, He Never Failed Me Yet. I've heard it since in other places done beautifully, but I think about St. Mark because that's where I learned it. And the choir would get to rocking as they sang this powerful anthem about God's deliverance of God's people from hard times and God's promised deliverance of us from our hard times. He is my God, some of the words say, and I'll serve him no matter what the test. Trust and never doubt, Jesus will surely bring you out. He never failed me yet. And the choir would be off and the congregation would join in and it was powerful. And they would sing that hymn or that anthem sometimes at funerals. And there in the face of death, this affirmation of God's power and love was sung and proclaimed. And Jesus was visible moving among the congregation. Beloved, on this second Sunday of Easter, we know in our bones that life is hard sometimes. And it does not always feel like Easter. But John says to us, if you're fearful, be alert. Jesus is on the loose. And he just may show up in your locked rooms, your locked churches, your locked hearts, bringing God's love and grace and power and inviting us to life and to service in his name. May it be so for us this day and in the days to come. Amen. Okay, Jimmy, um, you know, there's so much in these few verses. Talk about, you know, Jesus shows up, he tells him not to be afraid. And then he, um, he pretty quickly, and I'm always interested in the Gospel of John, it's so different from the other texts, um, he breathes the Holy Spirit on him, right? Right. What's your sense of that? What's going on with that? Well, it's apparently John's version of Pentecost, the mm -hmm. giving of the Spirit, and he has a little different take apparently from Luke. But uh, it's striking to me that Jesus really is a gift giver in this text. Um, and I think I alluded to this in the sermon, but peace is a major gift. He's promised that before the crucifixion, a peace different from what the world gives. Uh, very important. I think he gives them meaningful work to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I came to share God's love and to bring that word of life. Now you've got that responsibility, church, so go out and do it. And then the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's right. like this empowerment to, uh, to do what needs to be done. And I think the breathing, of course, reminds us of the breath of God in the Genesis uh, creation account. So it's really like a new creation kind mm -hmm. of thing. And John really does set up the paraclete, right? The, the yes. advocate very clearly and, and talks about the different functions of the paraclete, you know, the, the comforter. I, I really appreciate in this text that um, Jesus doesn't want them to go with another minute without the Holy Spirit, right? There's no delay. Right. There's no sense of, I'm not going to do, like, I'm going <laughs> to show up in your midst. I'm going to say peace, and then I'm going to breathe the Holy Spirit on you. Because you need comfort and you need teaching and you need direction and you need um, empowerment, right? Empowerment, and, uh, empowerment, yeah. 
And so you don't, you don't have to go a minute. They don't have to go a minute without empowerment and that, and then the, you know, you mentioned later that, um, it's a three, a tripartite, right? Peace. I get pieces said three times. Jesus wishes right. peace to them. So right. clearly, and, and, you know, I'm thinking in the farewell, farewell discourse, I come that you may know my peace. Uh, right. That's the big, the culmination of life with God for John in many ways is a peace, uh, which it's is a, it's a really important promise in John to the uh, disciples mm-hmm. and Jesus twice in the first visit. Again, when Thomas is there, it's an important, important gift from him. Right. So um, in turbulent times, I think we all could use the word of peace, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we hear it again. Um, yeah. Be not be be not dismayed. Um, I love your story about your son, Josh, when peace and joy showed up unexpectedly in your midst. Well, that was a, a very special day for us, as you could understand, and mm-hmm. utterly unexpected. I, he just he was very good about not giving us any hint at all that he was coming. And and he was just there. And mm-hmm. it was just magnificent. And we had him for those holidays course he was not home for good he had to go back and we had to worry some more but uh but it was a wonderful gift and the church was so supportive of us and him in that time and uh i can still see those members they were just beaming when they came to the door because they knew i was going to be happy and they knew julie was going to be happy and they were excited to be a part of that yeah it was a wonderful day communal joy in the best yes. sense. And yes. I think that's, you know, you think how the mood sh- shifted so quickly in this room so long ago. You know, you have the terror, you have the fear of the authorities, you have the unknown, you have the disappointment, you have the grief, and then you have, it turns to fear, and then it turns to joy. And for Thomas, it turns to doubt, right? He, he wasn't among the first gang, but... Um, you well, know, I look up, dumbfounded. That's a strange word, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is a strange word. One of the things that's interesting to me in this story is that the disciples get these wonderful gifts, but they still seem to struggle a little bit that next week with mm-hmm. really putting that into practice. And this is that issue to me of Easter, I think, is just sort of hard to get, really. you got to It's got to grow on you a little bit, apparently. But John doesn't say they're locked in the room in the second week, but the doors are closed. You know, they're still in the room. And there's there's no evidence from John that they went out that previous week. They may have, but we don't know that. But uh, uh, it's just um, takes takes a little while for that to really sink in, I think. And Jesus has to come back again and peace again. Right. And, And then Thomas gets his... Uh, display. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, don't all of us move between death and resurrection and fits and starts? Oh, I think so. And that's one reason this passage is so comforting to me, because yeah. I think we're very much in that pattern. We're, we're all, death and destruction's always around. And so 
sometimes it's it's easy to dwell in that, right? To get Absolutely. to get locked in. And you and I think I love the way you use that, that we get locked into our own sense of how reality is. I mean, I confess there are days when I go, I don't think anything's ever gonna change. No. You know, it just, we continue to get locked. But Jesus's promise is the spirits continue to breathe on us. I don't think that was a one-time event. And um, it comes and fits and starts. And, you know, I keep thinking of Paul's phrase to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I think this is part of it, that um, it is a struggle and it is discouraging, but uh, the promise is that, um, that God's love and grace will show up in, in dramatic ways. I loved your story about from the Methodist news service about, um, about the uh, Maria and her struggle to join her family. Um, Why was that so compelling to you? Well, I was, was wrestling trying to find some story that I felt, conveyed the message that the resurrected Christ does show up. Mm-hmm. And I first had some sort of just generalized statements about that. Uh, might have done something with Noonan, but I happened to read that story toward the end of the time before the recording. And I thought, I think this story fits because here's a woman who was facing uh, despair, mm-hmm. possibly death for her child. Um, and United Methodists met her and conveyed the risen Christ to her all along the way. And it just, for me, it was a compelling story. And I thought, I think I'm going to use that uh, for what I want to try to say here. I've always loved the the name of one of Eugene Peterson's book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. Yes. And I thought the story really conveyed that it takes Christ playing in a lot of places to make things happen sometimes. Yes. And so I really appreciated, you know, the story of the connection and how it reminded me of the Underground Railroad, right? That they're each, <laughs> each, each stop had its mission. But that's how, you know, the, if the Holy Spirit can work among a people in a connection and, um, and, uh, and I think Noonan is the same way that, you know, UMCOR, anytime there's relief, disaster relief, there's a sense of every, every cog in the machine has to work. But that Christ, when Christ influences a group of people, then, it, you know, it's no mistake. He said that um, you will do greater things through me because of the gift of the Holy Spirit than I can right. do alone. And so I think this is a good story that just illustrates for us that uh, a group of people, a people on a mission, a people open to the power of the Holy Spirit can do amazing things. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, at the heart of United Methodism, right? That um, our theme throughout COVID has been lean into the connection. And we've seen amazing stories of folks who um, opened themselves to where Jesus was leading them. And I think that's important. Uh, to think about. And, you know, um, I also have loved uh, the sense that Jesus goes ahead of us, right? Um, That these disciples learn that Jesus is never um, far away from them, that he, and the sense that Jesus goes from being an exterior figure to imminent, right? He breathes into them, that there is a, there is a, 
they are overcome or overshadowed. I always loved in the Genesis account, you know, that that the world was without form and void and the, the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit overshadowed it and the right. creative forces. And so God has really in this scene overshadowed these folks and has empowered them and has become internalized, right? That uh, what a powerful force that is, that God mm-hmm. is driving me from the inside and not just yeah. acting on the outside. And so um, I've always been compelled by the resurrection story where Jesus, uh, the mess, the angels tell the women he's ahead. He's tell, go tell him he's ahead of them. He's gone on to Galilee and another Eugene Peterson nod. Uh, I've always loved how he, he, and I've done this my whole ministry. He said, um, you know, I think of that. And so whenever I get a call to an emergency room, or the house of somebody who's dying or the house of some critically awful event. Um, As I go there, I pray, I know Jesus, you've gone ahead of me and I know that you're waiting for me there. And I just need you to tell me what to say and do. And to me, that's incredibly powerful. And that's what Jesus is telling them. You're never going without me. I am going ahead of you and I'm breathing into you empowerment to do whatever you've got to do, which to me is the biggest um, comfort in the face of fear. I think that's right. And one of the things that's always been so powerful to me about the story of the circuit riders was their deep belief in this, that they couldn't go anywhere, that Jesus and God were not already present. And right. So they, could, they could live into that and work into that. And that's one of the things I think that made them so effective and so powerful in what mm-hmm. they did. But, mm-hmm. um, I want to come back to two things real quickly. One is I, the connectional part of the story of Maria was part of what captured me, I think. Um, uh, they actually named the preacher in Paris, Texas, and I don't remember his name. I chose not to use it, but I was impressed that he, and I think the phrase in the story was, he put the connection to work. Yeah. He called the next town and the next town and the next town to to start lining the United Methodist up. And I, I used to tell my children when they were a little younger, but beginning to drive and getting out, I said, if you're ever somewhere and you need some help, find the Methodist church in that community. Mm-hmm. And uh, you should be able, I hope, right. to, find, to find somebody who can help you if you need that. Uh, but, but that's important. And one of my um, griefs in my older age is I feel like our connection is not quite as strong as it was when I was younger. And I'm I'm hopeful that we might find a way to uh, strengthen that again. And the good news is it's been interesting in my ministry. You know, I've always, I've always admired the connection between the older clergy in Florida. They're the ones I knew. I mean, I served the first church I served had 72 retired pastors in it. So I got to know all of them, (laughs) but um, they, um, they, you know, you would never, there'd never be a funeral of a, of a clergy person that wasn't well attended by other clergy. There was a, and you know, that's one reason I started, um, brought the practice up here that all the clergy attend ordination because I just felt like that's, that's a powerful visual image that you're joining a body. And so I would say I've always looked to those older clergy. I think my generation was, um, I don't know, hard headed, more independent. I don't know. But now I see with the younger clergy, a hunger for that. 
And so yeah. I do, I am hopeful for, um, and I think we've really, uh, I know in all of our candidacy stuff now, you never go alone. You do from day one, you're in a group. So there's yeah. a connection yeah. there. I yeah. think the residents and ministry groups have been tremendous. So I think we're, we're living into more um, an, a communal understanding and really yeah quite frankly, the clergy that I know that have gotten into trouble or have really messed up in ministry are the Lone Rangers, right? There's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a bonding force and a, co- yeah. a communal need for this. So um, I think it is important. And to go back to putting your connection to work uh, in that same church where I had 72 retired clergy, and they all had tips for me. So I had very, very good education <laughs> as a young clergy person. <laughs> but um, they... Um, I always, always, it was in Lakeland, Florida, which is about 45 minutes from Walt Disney World. Yeah. And uh, if you've ever been to Florida in the summertime, you know, it's like 95 in the shade and yeah. it's humid. And so people would come to Disney who were totally not used to Florida heat. And let's face it, a lot of them weren't in great shape to begin with. And to go to any Disney park, you're going to be walking miles. And so we had so many people fall or have a heart attack or have heat prostate, you know, that you name it. And they ended up in the Lakeland Hospital often. And uh, I can't tell you, I met maybe 70, 80 people during my time there. I visited in the hospital because their pastor from you name it, all over the world, yeah. called our church and said, you know, my parishioner so-and-so was at Disney and fell and doesn't, you know, their family uh, has to come back and they need to stay another couple of weeks. Could you? And so I really saw the connection at work early on and people were amazed when I would show up and they'd be like, how did you know I was here? I said, well, you know, your, your pastor in Madison, Wisconsin, or, you know, um, Sacramento, California, or yeah. uh, you name it. Yeah. You know, I was there on behalf of the connection. So um, I, I do think that, uh, you know, like the underground railroad, like, like places where you, where you can hand off and, and divvy up the work and share in it. I think it's important. So I appreciate the, the nod to the connection. Um, let's talk about Thomas. He's always been, I think Thomas gets a bad rap, tell you the truth. I think we all doubt and we're all Thomas in a way, uh, maybe not as graphic as he is, as you were reading it. I'm like, dang, he was pretty darn graphic. Like, I want to stick my hand in his side. Okay. <laughs> well, I think Thomas has got a bad rap, too. One of the things that struck me when I started working on this text, and I usually read it in several translations and try to sort of, but Thomas essentially does exactly what the other disciples do to Mary. Um, you know, she comes and says, I've seen the Lord, and it, it, I don't know that they don't believe her, but it doesn't seem to affect their, uh, their actions very much. They go behind this locked room, and then Thomas uh, says the same thing to them. Uh, well, I, they, they say to him, I've seen, we've seen the Lord. Uh-huh. Well, I'm not going to, I got to see it for myself. And um, so it's, it, he's not really that different to me from the other disciples. Yeah. And, um, I think he does get a bad rap. There's a Lutheran pastor that I've come to like. I see him on the um, uh, Internet sometimes. David Luce um, does preaching, and 
I was looking at his take on this, and he says he thinks what happens with Thomas basically is that his his just his um, his sense of reality gets has to get changed. He comes with one reality, and the risen Christ brings another reality to him, and says, "Well, it's not this old; it's just something new." And that was for me a helpful perspective as well. But I think Thomas does get a bad rap, and I think we're all like Thomas. Have been I think so, you know. Thomas Long had a uh, Tom Long had a great article in the latest uh, journal for preachers, which I really like. And Mm -hmm. he started off with a story from uh, somebody to a a Trappist monk and saying, show me your resurrected Jesus. That was what he wanted to see. And um, so we all struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Be alert. Jesus is on the loose. Be alert. How do we stay alert? You know, and that is such a common uh, Thessalonians. Uh, you know, Paul was big on the alert. <laughs> Stay well, alert. Uh, you know, he he uh, that that has to be a huge um, directive for the spiritual life. So how how do we be alert as all this death and destruction swirling around us? Well, and it's also a big uh, theme in the Gospels, too, particularly in the apocalyptic chapters. Yes. And, then, you know, watch and be ready. Um, right. I don't have a magic key to that. I think one thing, and you're so good at lifting these things up, I think uh, staying in the scriptures and um, uh, knowing the story, uh, one of the things not always done a good job with is helping our people learn the full story and complete story. Um, Tending to the spiritual disciplines or Wesley's means of grace um, and uh, those things that help us stay ready and stay. I I think for Wesley, it was never, these were never magic. You don't manipulate God, but you put yourself in a place where God is able to speak to you and to direct you. Uh, Jim Balvano, when he was coaching the uh, uh, North Carolina State years ago, he used to say, I can't coach to win, but I try to coach to put my team in a position to win so that they'll be able to win. And uh, that's always been one of my understandings of the means of grace. We don't manipulate God, but um, when we tend to scripture, when we go to worship, when we take communion, when we're involved in prayer, mm-hmm. open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, then I think we are being alert and being ready for God to speak to us in ways that can be heard and responded to. Right. Yeah, it reminds me of, a. I think Carl Bart said that, you know, if you're if you're needing water, it helps to stand in a dry creek bed because chances are water will come there. <laughs> you know, if there's a flash flood, it's going to hit you there. And I think that the spiritual practices are like that. You know, they put a square in the stream bed. And if the Holy Spirit's going to roll over us, good place for it. So I think that, um, you know, and to be alert. Uh, I think it was Jurgen Moltmann um, uh, who came to Christ, came to Christianity. Uh, as a prisoner of war, as a German prisoner of war. And in his biography, he talks about uh, being driving into the, being driven into the prison. And he wasn't a person of faith. He was an atheist. And on the way in, the image that captured his mind and his heart was of a little bird on, on um, uh, barbed wire around the prison. There's barbed wire. And this little bird on the barbed wire uh, singing its heart out. 
And yeah. in prison, that was the image that captured him. And he thought, who, who would create something that could sing even while sitting on barbed wire? And, and yeah. you know, so, so I think the spiritual imagination, and I do think we lose, we've lost a lot of imagination, you know, um, especially with internet and not reading as much. And, but to have yeah. a spiritual imagination and to just pay attention to images God gives you, or, um, you know, I think there's power in that. And, and, and so to be alert involves, you know, listening to your life. I've always loved that. There, there was a, yeah. a study yeah. years ago called listening to your life. Yeah. And um, I think that's an important, important part of it. So um, like the disciples, uh, we are locked in, right? I loved your clothes. We are, our hearts are locked. Our churches are locked. Our minds are locked, and um, Jesus holds a key, right, to yes. unlock them. But we've got to be available to do that. He, he, can, he will show up. Yeah, he's got to be ready to, yeah. and not be terrified when he walks in. <laughs> <laughs> well, that may be <laughs> that's a, <laughs> uh, it, uh, part of what makes Easter so stunning. I think is that it's. Um, it's not the norm. I mean, I understand why we use flowers and all of that, but this is something outside the norm. You know, God has just done a stunning thing here. It right. turned everything. It is a new reality, as David yeah. says, and yeah. um, and that can be um, can be difficult, and it can be scary too. I like my routine. My wife will tell you, you know, don't mess <laughs> with my routine. I've got my set ways of doing things, and. If uh, uh, if anybody, including Jesus, wants to shake that up, then I I can get testy about it. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah. can get afraid too. Right, so right. I know what's comfortable to me. Well, and I've always been amazed, Jimmy, having worked so much with older folks, that um, you know we get so set in our ways, but the reality is. The final countdown, I mean, death is the biggest adventure of all, right? You have no control over that. And so how do we, you know, to prepare for that, um, it, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. So um, maybe we uh, just let go a little bit and, and trust. And, you know, thank God we have the gift of the Holy Spirit to grease the skids. <laughs> Otherwise yep. we're dead yeah. in the water. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, as we go through this Easter tide, I love that Easter tide. Um, as we look at more accounts of the resurrection, um, I'm grateful. And I think we have so many accounts of the resurrection because Jesus does keep showing up. And perhaps my favorite introduction written by Paul is he, he shows up, and he showed up to me one untimely born, right? Yes. Even to yes. those of us who are untimely born and didn't know him in person have seen him show up. And so right. uh, thank you for opening our eyes and for um, reminding us to be alert and to let Christ have a, have a go at the locked places in our lives. Uh, blessings on you this Easter season. Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate it. And um, 
Again, I ask all of you, this is our last uh, So Be It episode. Uh, we have worked through the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer, and we have worked uh, each week of the lectionary and talked about the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. Uh, so I invite you um, for ideas and suggestions for the future and what you'd like to hear about, uh, what we need to explore further. I've enjoyed it. I think it's been a great time of reflection and prayer and insight. And so uh, just let us know and uh, uh, we'll be back soon to, uh, to have more conversation. Thanks again, Jimmy. Take care. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together.